phenomenal question. And here's a piece of advice I've given even to my kids at 12. And I, I constantly tell them this. So when I was I came out of the Arizona State Legislature, went into the qualifying school for the AVP, qualified in the AVP, didn't realize the season literally lasts about four months. That's it. And you're only getting paid if you win. It's a performance-based business. Sponsorships were minimal unless your name was, you know, Kerry Walsh or Karch Karai. So I went and started interviewing everywhere. I mean, Matt, no joke. I think I went to like 40-something interviews. Now, every interview is incredibly honest with them and said, listen, I, I do this thing called beach volleyball. I moved to Southern California to play beach volleyball, but I need, I need basically a four-month part-time schedule where I leave. Like every Wednesday, I'm going to leave, go somewhere. I'll be back Sunday night or Monday morning. I'm going to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, be back on a plane. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for encouraging your friends to subscribe. Today, we've got a great one, 14-year AVP beach volleyball pro, co-founder and CEO of Epic Freight Solutions, beloved community, family, and business leader, John Moran is with us today. He's going to talk about excellence being a mindset and getting better every day. Interestingly, not many people want to be excellent, according to John Moran. He's going to talk about expectations and comparison is the antidote to happiness. Just think about that as you're watching your Instagram and he has five steps to achieve excellence without jealousy and depression from comparisons. And finally, we're going to get into how to pick a career based on long-term goals and life will keep surprising if you do. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, John Moran, thank you so much for taking time off of your extremely busy schedule. I was going to say thank you so much for coming off the beach and uh, spending time with me today, but I know that you work a whole lot. So you're taking a little bit of a break in your workday to help out the world of 20-somethings. We appreciate you joining us on the Edge of Excellence. Thanks for having me, brother. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, let's get started the way we always get started. You've got a lot of excellence in your life. What is your definition of excellence, John Moran? I would say, you know, first off, I'm going to say this. There are not that many people that want to be excellent. It's a line that I used about 15 years ago. I was having a conversation with my brother, Tim, and he was complaining about what was going on in his business. I said, here's the deal, Tim, just not that many people want to be excellent. So I think first and foremost, for me, the definition of excellence, it's a mindset about daily habits, daily rituals, making sure that your focus is in the right place. And it's about literally getting better. It's so cliche, but for me, Matt, it's about getting better every day. Be better today than you were yesterday. And that constant incremental improvement over time, you can't help but win. So I guess for me, that's that's kind of what it would be about. But first, it starts with the mindset to be excellent. And there's not a lot of people that want to do it. They don't want to work that hard. So you could start off being the absolute worst at something. And if your mindset is, I'm going to get excellent at it, and you work at it every day, eventually, it may take 30 years, eventually you'll be excellent at it. Yeah. I mean, Matt, I, I played uh, professional beach volleyball. I didn't touch a volleyball until I was 17 years old. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I was, yeah, I was awful. And I, when I mean awful, I mean, literally my brother had to call. My brother went to high school with my high school volleyball coach. And my brother had to make a personal phone call to the coach and say, would you mind putting John Edward, which is one of my middle names, would you mind putting him on the team? And I went out and I don't think I played, but maybe 10 minutes my junior year in high school. Volleyball, I was dreadful. Couldn't swing at a ball, uh, terrible coordination. It's just a different sport. It's a rebound sport because everything rebounds off your arms, rebounds off your hands, rebounds. And, uh, but if you fast forward from the age of 17 to the age of 24, you know, I just worked exceptionally hard every single day. I mean, literally every day, touched the volleyball. It did something to make myself a little bit better. And before you know it, you know, 
what, seven and a half years later, I was playing in a, in a professional beach volleyball tournament on the ADP. So I, I really do think that, you know, it starts with the mindset and then it starts with the work, work ethic. Um, so didn't you so play volleyball? Didn't you play volleyball in college? I did. So I played my junior year and senior year uh, in high school, went to the university of Arizona, which has a, um, a notoriously really good uh, men's club team that offers scholarships. It's kind of a weird situation, not important for this conversation, but a very, very good club team in college. And um, yeah, I mean, I basically squeaked on the team my freshman year, but my senior year, I was a captain on the team and, and had gone from being a total bench warmer my freshman year to you know, obviously starting every match and, and being one of the primary contributors on the team. So. Okay. So that, I mean, I guess you are living proof of that and the mindset of daily habits, daily rituals, having the mindset of being excellent, being one of those few people that want to be excellent, that kind of wraps in some other people's definition where you have to be spinning the plates. You can't just be excellent at volleyball and be a drunken criminal because you will stop being excellent at volleyball because that other stuff will damage you. You can't just be excellent in business and fail at home because eventually it all catches up. So you have to have the mindset, the daily habits, the daily rituals that affect every aspect of your life. And over time, you're going to get excellent at what you focus at and what you devote the energy to. You nailed it. I don't know if I could have summed that up any better myself. All right. So we already got it out there that you were a AVP pro volleyball player, 14 seasons. We already got it out there that you went to U of A. We haven't started talking about what you do now and the freight business, which I know a lot of people will be interested in because that's something that not a lot of people know about. But let's just back it up a little bit. You're in high school. You're not playing volleyball. What was life like in high school? How did you see yourself and what were you doing to find a path? Yeah, so high school was really interesting to me. I went to an all-boys Jesuit high school. And I think being, you know, I got six, there's six of us in the family. I'm the fourth boy. So I had three older brothers. I would say for me growing up was a little unique because I come from, you know, the, the fourth of, of the boys, uh, went to an all-boys Jesuit high school. And where I'm going with this is competition. So high school to me was all about, like, I felt it when I stepped on campus my freshman year. I already knew I wanted to be great at something because I wanted to, you know, be like my older brothers. I wanted to beat them in everything. So the, my whole family, if you look at all these boys, it was all about competition all the time. Then you throw me into an all boys Jesuit high school. I'm very early at 14 years old. I, it was, I was competing every single day, whether it was in grades, whether it was in sports, whether it was, you know, friendships, girls at the sister school, it was almost like a, a competition all the time. I, I kind of joke as I got older and look back at my high school years. I didn't realize it until I got much, much older, but I, I spent so much time being a human doing. I probably missed out on being a human being for those four years of high school, but I was constantly busy, man. I was playing sports, you know, uh, honor roll, national honor society, all that stuff. And that was kind of my high school. My high school was actually, there was a lot of pressure in high school. For me, I was in a pressure cooker like all the time. You know, we had, it was a pipeline to a bunch of Ivy League schools. It was kind of a weird, weird competitive environment in my high school, but that would kind of define my four years uh, at school. So. So interesting. If you go back to that definition of excellence, you have to have the mindset. You have to want it. So you can you got to play the cards you're dealt too, right? So someone someone with uh, the fourth of six boys could look at that competition and look at it differently. Like, oh, I never was good enough. I um, always had more to do. Someone was always doing better, which I'm sure was happening. But you're looking for the role models. You're playing the cards you're dealt well. Um, you've maybe had a little chip on your shoulder that you didn't waste. You used it for your own benefit as you went through high school. And I think that goes to that mindset. You have to have the mindset of wanting to be excellent. And then you have to have the mindset, and maybe it's the daily habits and rituals that you have, of identifying the constructive elements of what's surrounding you. And you could read exactly what you just said two different ways. And another person would have been in the same boat and really sucked at everything and given up because their brothers are kicking ass everywhere and the school is so great. So interesting that you chose to use the competition, play the cards well, use the chip on your shoulder. Yeah, the chip on the shoulders are really, that's a great way to put it, Matt. I would say you actually touched on it. I think one of the, the greatest, unfortunately, one of the greatest questions we ask ourselves as humans is, are we enough? And I use that to fuel me, call it a chip, if you will. But for me, it was, I was constantly asking myself that question, am I enough? And while 
I've said a lot of times like expectations and comparison are the antidote to happiness. Unfortunately, there was a lot of expectations and a lot of comparisons when I was growing up. I compare myself to my brothers all the time. I, my brother, Tim, who was the closest to me in age, starting middle linebacker on the high school football team. My brother, Pat, incredibly successful entrepreneur immediately out of school. So, I mean, I think I was constantly, and then put together the, the group of people I was with at this, again, this, this elite all boys Jesuit high school there in Phoenix, Arizona. And man, it was like, I was constantly asking myself, call it a chip, if you will, but I, am I good enough? Am I good enough? What can I do more? What can I do more? Um, and it really fueled me and it fueled me positively. I, I think you're right. It could have gone, could have gone the other way. Um, and I certainly could have crumbled or folded like a lawn chair. But for me, I, I, I kind of thrived in that environment for some reason. Um, yeah, that's the direction I went with it. For some reason, because of the mindset, right? So and I, yeah, love that. I mean, go ahead. I think what you're going to say is expectations of comparison are the antidote to happiness. And young kids need to understand that. I think in today's social media environment yeah. where they're constantly being bombarded with images of their friends on these amazing vacations or their cars or that perfect shot that they took at a party or looking Vegas, you know, when they're 18 and their parents, like, it's ridiculous. And I think young people specifically get in this, this horrible hole and this pattern of evaluating themselves and comparing themselves to people they see on social media and their friends. And just... You and I both know, man, and I think part of our age and our experience, that's just not the truth. That's not reality. So, so, and it's, but you went both ways with it. So, and I love that expectation and comparison is the antidote to happiness. Yet you and I, both of us for the first part of our life, wanted to do more, wanted to get to where that person was, wanted to, uh, best that person. So it mm -hmm. helped us now while we were going through it. Maybe we weren't as happy as we could have been. And when I let go of that and I just realized there's always going to be somebody richer, there's always going to be somebody with more toys. Where do you want to compete? I want to compete on being the nicest guy in Orange County and I'm getting smoked by Bill Lyon right now. Yeah. So you you let it go, but you also used it. And it's a fine line. How do you let them have a better vacation? Let them have better bodies. Let them have more fun this weekend on Instagram. Let them, you know, make more money out of it. How do you let that happen? And and be cool with it, be zen, and utilize it to fuel you. Because I'm fueled by Julie Johns and the Albuquerque Academy, you know, these negative experiences I had in the beginning. But now I'm fueled by Alex Bethal, who's super duper successful and keeps going out and getting it done. And he's like a role, a friend role model where I'm like, yeah. I look at it. I'm not bummed out that he's got more stuff than me. I'm influenced by his work ethic and his dedication as a reminder to be the best I can be. So how do you go from the negative part of expect of, of expectation and comparison to the constructive fuel? Is it just getting older? Yeah. I mean, experience obviously is a great teacher. So here's something that I have for me, it boils down to kind of five things. I call it the five by five rule. And it's, and this, if you can focus on these five things and really hone it down I think you get into, uh, you'll get to a place where you're focused more inside and opposed to less outside influences. And that is, I think the majority of us, and, and again, learn this a lot later in life, as you have as well, Matt, but we are the combination of, I kind of think, five, five primary things. Now, these five things might change over time as you go through, you know, high school to college and post-college into your married life and kids and all that stuff. But it really, we as humans, if you can focus on these five things, um, I think it helps you get away from the comparison expectation, gets you more focused on what you're trying to accomplish. And that is, you know, they always say you're the con you're basically the sum of the five people you're closest to. I totally disagree with that. I think you're actually the sum of the, yeah, I think you're, I think you're really the sum of five things. I think you're the sum of the five, uh, your five primary values in life. So really sit down and think about what are my five primary values? They could be health. It could be integrity. It could be courage. It could be adventure. It could be something spiritual, but take a look at your five top values. Start there. And then from there, what are the five primary thoughts you give yourself on a daily basis? So am I enough? Um, do I love myself? Am I calm and confident? Am I passionate and positive? What are those five mantras, those five primary thoughts that you tell yourself literally every single day? Then it comes down to your goals. What are the five primary goals you have? And they could be on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly, quarter, or year. This isn't a goal setting session, but however you want to divide your goals down. And then it's the habits, your five habits every single day. I literally, if you want to, we are the sum of what we repeatedly do. So I always say you, what you do is who you are. So if every single day you get up, 
and you, you, I don't know, you have a donut every single morning and you sit around and watch the morning talk shows and you know, you start your day at 11, that's who you are. So what you do is who you are. Um, and so you show me people, you show me people's routines their five primary habits in a given day. And I'll pretty much tell you what kind of person they are, where their trajectory is headed. And then the last piece, which is critically important. And again, I think it, it's too, it's too simple to narrow it down to you are the sum of the five people you're around, but that is one of the five contributors. So it's values, it's thoughts, it's goals, it's habits, and then it's people. Now you take a look at who are the five primary people you spend the most time with in your life. If you put that all together and you were to take that and let's say write that down just at the beginning of the week on Sunday nights and you're to write down, okay, what are my five values? What are the five primary thoughts I'm going to have this week? What are the five things I'm going after maybe this week or this month? All right. What are the five primary habits I'm going to do on Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so on and so forth. And then who are the people close to me in life? If you just did that, like if you did that sort of introspective check-in once a week, what happens is you start to focus a lot more on what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're going after, and a lot less on getting on social media and going, oh man, they're, they're in Tulum this weekend. Oh, that looks amazing. Or wait, they all invited this party, but I'm not at that party. Because now you're so focused on those five primary core pillars in your life. It, it, I, I'm telling you, you do that for you do that for a month, you do that for two months, the comparison, the expectation starts to fade a little bit, and you start to compare and expect stuff of your of yourself and less of outer influences. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And uh, and I and I love it. And and I, I still am friends with Mike Cato, even though you just bashed his entire episode. Because he said, <laughs> and, and by the way, it was Aristotle, Mike, not Mike Cato, that said, uh, "You are the sum of your five closest friends." I believe, maybe it was Aristotle that said, "You are the sum of your actions." This isn't a, po- a podcast about accuracy or facts. By the way, it's a podcast about whatever I say. Um, so, love it. Yeah. And, by, the way, in a matter, by the way, if it comes down to a matter of opinions, it's your show. So yeah, always yeah, it's win, my so. my opinion. <laughs> I, I edit out opinions that disagree with me, which isn't true actually, because you are the sum of your five values. Kindness is one of my value. I haven't been acting kind lately since COVID. I've been hanging out with people that have been aggravating me and I forgot my value isn't to be right. My value is to be kind. And I had to remind myself of my values. And I have to remind myself every day of my thoughts. And I think good things about myself and yeah. my wife before I get out of bed. You yeah. know, we, we do goal planning together and, and I have to look at that once in a while. And you're right. If you don't introspectively check in and I like the once a week, maybe once a day and you're not like I, every once in a while, I have to reset my routines. I had to do I had to get the new map because I've been eating too many damn cookies. If you're not checking in and making adjustments, it's like driving to New York with no map. You don't just get going and then hope you get yeah. there. You got to check yeah. in because you next thing you know, you're in Texas in the wrong place. You got to get back on the right freeway. Yeah, actually, to that point, um, I was using this analogy with a, a younger, one of my younger employees um, just last week, and we were talking about direction. And I said, imagine that you are the pilot, and you've heard this before, man, I know you haven't, but imagine you're the pilot of your own plane in your life. And let's just say you're going LA to Hawaii. Like that, that's your, that's in the destination of your life. Yeah. You're going to start in LA, you're going to end up in Hawaii, and you are the, you are the pilot of your plane of your life. Your whole job, because now you know where the destination is. Good thing is you pick the goal, you pick the spot, but your whole job as a pilot is just that you're going to be off track probably 98% of the trip. Yeah. We all are. And by the way, every time a young person's checking in on social media and comparing themselves, they're getting off track, right? So 98% of the time, you're off track on this place you're going to that's your destination. And your only job as a pilot is to kind of redirect you, these little slight tweaks all the way from point of origin to point of destination. The, the, the challenge is if you don't focus on your values, your thoughts, your goals, your habits, and then the people in your life, and you don't check in on that stuff, you forget, you get way off track to your point. You're, you're not going to make those small adjustments in your life. You're going to, like you said, you're going to, your goal might've been Hawaii. You're going to end up in the middle of the damn Pacific ocean because you completely forgot to keep yourself on track. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, you know, you and I've talked about this a lot, you know, off, obviously off camera and kind of our initial discussions, but there's so much. There's so much pressure on, and, and it's way more so than when you and I were growing up. There's so much pressure on, you know, younger folks. And I mean, younger now is like, it, it's such a sliding scale, but I mean, even my kids at 12, you know, your kids are just a little bit older, but there, we didn't have that pressure. I, I didn't know if my next door neighbor was my best friend growing up. I didn't know if he was somewhere else with somebody doing something fun. Cause I didn't, there was no Instagram. There was no Facebook, right? It was like, oh, he's just, we're not playing today. Um, or in high school, I didn't know what everybody else was doing. I didn't really care that much. 
because I didn't see it. It wasn't in my face all the time. And now I think if, 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 you know, this younger generation isn't focused and checking in on their values, their thoughts, their goals, you know, their, their habits and the people they're hanging out with, they don't do those check-in points. You really can get off track, like dangerously off track. Yeah. Um, and there's enough, there's enough distractions out there that you can be addicted, you know, they say addicted to distraction. You really can. Uh, you really, really can. I think that's something I was able to stay away from. I know you have done an amazing job of staying away from the distractions. And I think it's been one of the reasons we've been able to you know, go past the edge of excellence. So, well, I, I don't know if I'm past it yet, but I, I, had, <laughs> I had a guy one time, this guy, Larry Green, he has systems paving. You'll hear his, he's got the accent on the radio ads. And I went into this YPO group. And, you know, you got the billionaires, you get the sports team owners, you got all this stuff. And I'd known Larry for a while and he walked up to me and he said, hey, just want to let you know, give it up. You'll never catch up with some of these people. And I thought, well, that's really weird. And for a while I thought, oh, you know, maybe he means I should lower. I thought about it a lot. Should I lower my goals? Should I give up on these high goals? No, what he's saying is what you're saying. Celebrate you. Celebrate yeah. your path. Let go of the others. Because if you're constantly yep. trying to catch up or be better, you just drive yourself crazy. If you have your introspective check-in and you're checking on your goals, your values, your actions, you start celebrating yourself and you start yeah. celebrating your path, you're more likely to achieve those things. So, you know, I may not end up with, you know, maybe I will, maybe because I'm doing all this, I will have a multi-billion dollar business, but I know what I can do well and I focus on that. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and with that, let's, with that, let's slide into just back into your life. So somehow, which is still baffling, you're in high school and you get into this club team, which makes more sense than if it was a division one team. What's really strange is you go from a club team to pro because that doesn't normally happen. You took a pause along the way because you wanted to be a politician. I wanted to be a politician. You went to the Arizona legislature. You did the research. You figured I don't want that job anymore. And you got into pro volleyball. But it's interesting. You're playing pro volleyball and you're you're a great looking six foot. I don't know, four dude with a little bit, tall, little bit taller. But yeah, six close. foot six with uh, <laughs> three percent body fat, living the life on the beach, oh, dunking balls on people. And you decide, you know what? I need more. I need a little bit more money because a lot of sports don't pay tons. You wanted more yep. money than the AVP was paying. And you started thinking, even though you're in pro volleyball for 14 seasons, you start thinking, what's next? What's next? So in this great period of life, everybody wants to go there. Everybody wants to be a pro athlete. And you know, it doesn't matter if you're in football, baseball. Most people don't do it for the rest of their life. So you something clicks and you decide, I'm going to get a job and you get this weird job in a weird industry, the freight business. What was going through your head when you decided you wanted to start planning for the future and start thinking about your distant goals when you're 23 playing pro volleyball? Yeah, phenomenal question. And here's a piece of advice I've given even to my kids at 12. And I constantly tell them this. So when I was I came out of the Arizona State Legislature, went into the qualifying school for the AVP, qualified in the AVP, didn't realize the season literally lasts about four months. That's it. And you're only getting paid if you win. It's a performance-based business. Sponsorships were minimal unless your name was, you know, Kerry Walsh or Karch Karai. So I went and started interviewing everywhere. I mean, Matt, no joke. I think I went to like 40-something interviews. Now, every interview is incredibly honest with them and said, listen, I, I do this thing called beach volleyball. I moved to Southern California to play beach volleyball. But I need, I need basically a four-month part-time schedule where I leave. Like every Wednesday, I'm going to leave, go somewhere. I'll be back Sunday night or Monday morning. I'm going to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, be back on appointment. Well, you know, as a 23-year-old kid, there's not a lot of places I want to hire you like that. So, but the thing, when I was looking at industries, I only wanted to be in an industry, that's what I tell my kids, I only wanted to be in something that was residual-based. And what I mean by that is I didn't want to go into a business. I knew I wanted to do sales of some sort because it offered the most flexibility, not because I thought I was a natural-born salesperson. But if you look at the jobs, you, you know, I needed something with a ton of flexibility that you could work off hours, different hours. And so I knew sales would provide that level of flexibility, but I only wanted to go in sales if it was residual. So the, the, the analogy I use is real estate agents, really top real estate agents, they'll sell a house, get a big commission. But once they sell the house, it's a one and done. Now they're done. They got to go sell another house and then another house. And I get it as they get bigger, they get referrals and things like that. But literally the, the concept that I always use is I would rather use, you know, instead of getting $10,000 to sell a house, give me 10 cents. But every time the resident opens the front door, I get a penny for as long as they live in that house. So what I did was I looked at only residual-based businesses. And 
Financial planning was one of those. You, know, you build assets under management. You get a percentage fee from your clients. You can do a lot of good for people in that. So that was an industry I looked at. Nobody was hiring me in financial planning with a eight-month full-time, four-month. So that place was out. I, I interviewed like three places. Like, you got to be kidding me, kid. We're not giving you that schedule. So, right, so that was out. So then I looked at... Um, I looked at real estate. I realized that I interviewed with a company called Trammell Crow here in Los Angeles, huge commercial real estate company. But unless you're doing leases and getting paid on the leases, you've got to go like constantly sell new buildings. That's a grind. Um, so I, I didn't get that job. Anyways, go down the line. And a friend of mine said, hey, you should look at it. And I did recruiting. I thought executive recruiting would be cool. But the problem with recruiting is if you don't, if you do contingent labor, not full-time labor, again, same thing. You place a candidate. Now you got to go place another candidate. I'm like, this sucks. I want something where if I do all this hard work the first time, I get paid on it as long as the customer is satisfied for the rest of my career. So a buddy of mine said, you got to go check out logistics. I didn't know anything about freight forwarding, supply chain, logistics. I mean, I was a history major for God's sakes in college. So I went and started looking at this industry. And what was really fascinating to me was the way it works in sales and logistics was if you sold a company, let's just take a name that everybody knows. Let's go, you go sell um, Google, right? And Google's moving stuff all over the world. And you go sell Google, as long as Google keeps shipping with you and you don't lose the account, you get paid commissions on that account for as long as you keep Google. So it might take you two years to get the account, but then you, every day they ship, you're getting a commission every day. And I was like, this is perfect because for four and a half months while I'm playing volleyball, I'm not, I can't do new business development, new prospecting. My business is probably going to slip. So I got to keep those customers really happy and just do some account maintenance during the summer. Matt, it ended up being like the best thing that ever happened to me. I was able to play 14 years in the AVP tour, was able to start at a really great company that taught me the business, worked at that company for five years, by the way, until they got tired of my volleyball schedule and said, you got to do, do volleyball, you got to do freight. When they did that, I went and joined a startup, got a small piece of that startup in 2005, really blessed. So we took that company and sold it in 2008 uh, to a great partner out of the Midwest. That partner put me on a two-year non-compete agreement. I uh, was still playing volleyball with this whole time. Never stopped playing volleyball. I had a two-year non-compete agreement. They, they were very, you know, very generous with me during the two years. And then when my non-compete was up, I started the next company was Epic Freight Solutions, which is, you know, primarily where my biggest win has come. And then had that company, by the way, still playing volleyball from 2011 and then sold that company in 2021. I played my last professional volleyball tournament in, in October of 2016 actually lost in the finals of an event in Florida. And that was the last time I got paid uh, to play volleyball. So I got, I got this amazing run of like 14 years and found an industry that had a residual component that allowed me the flexibility to, you know, scale up and scale down based on my work schedule and my volleyball schedule. So that's how I got into this business. It's crazy. Totally, totally random. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. Do most of the volleyball players have that long-term outlook that they're thinking, okay, I've got eight months a year. I need to make the most of it. Are most of them going and kind of preparing their next career and making use of the other uh, two-thirds of the, of the year? I would say, unfortunately, uh, not to that extent. I think there, there's a one of the things you get about volleyball, it's one of those highly educated uh, professional sports in America. I think the, the graduation rate is like, from a four-year degree, from a four-year school, I think it's above 90%. So most of the guys and girls that are playing on tour have come from really good schools because on the men's side, there's only 21 schools in the country that offer a D1 program. That number could be up a little bit or down a little bit. On the women's side, it's obviously one of the most, one of the most heavily scholarship sports in all of women athletics. 
but these are great schools. I mean, you're getting all the Pac-12 kids that are coming out of UCLA and Loyola Marymount, USC, um, the Midwest schools like Penn State, Nebraska. So you've got these really smart people. The challenge is, I think a lot of them go into coaching. I think a lot of them try to go into teaching because teaching is a group. If you think about it, you got, you know, yeah, the yeah, school, same season, school, yeah. Summer, same season, summer's off. And I don't think that they're thinking beyond those because, again, playing sports is so much fun. Like, I, I never have, I never have more fun. Even selling Epic Freight Solutions wasn't as much fun as being on center court at Hatton Beach, playing my idol cards, Karai with the pink hat. Like, that still is one of my greatest memories of all time of anything I've ever done. And selling the company wasn't as rewarding as getting my ass kicked on center court at Manhattan Beach against Karai. You know what I mean? So I get it. A lot of these players are like, God, this, this is so amazing. I'm training my body. I'm, I'm competing at the highest level. And they kind of miss, like, that's going to end at some point. And, and what's, you know, what is my next step? And I, I think a lot of them, unfortunately, don't, don't have that foresight. Yeah, I think we just had all the district managers from College Works down here, and we were talking about uh, big picture. And I said, there's the big picture this year. It's not about what they're doing on a daily basis, doing sales, doing marketing, hiring people, blowing up jobs, winning jobs. There's the big picture of this year. Where are they going to get this year? Then there's a big picture of five years from now. What's going to happen with their with their career because of this year? And then there's the long-term big picture. And so in the AVP tour, maybe the long-term big picture, and I know people that want to be those coaches and want to do that forever, Maybe some people that was their big picture, but it seems like a lot of your peers may have not been looking that that furthest uh, goalpost, that furthest point out to plan for it. And you had that little little extra in there, that little extra of I'm going to look even a little further out. And then you also had something that's interesting. You weren't focusing on industry. You were tying everything to that long term picture. I mean, who thinks about, I need to have residual pay. Nobody thinks about that. So you're looking a little further out, maybe spending a little bit of time asking yourself, why, why do I want to do that? What's it about that? What's it about that? And you end up doing something that you probably never even knew of because you had this friend that said, Hey, check this out. And you're looking long-term, you're mind, you're checking in every month, your mind's churning. What do I want to do? And you're more aware of different things and probably more aware of how the, how the puzzle pieces fit together. And you end up in this strange industry that ended up being perfect. And so oh, it's crazy. Yeah. So tell us what is freight and what you do. And it, obviously you work for a company, learn the, learn the ropes. Then you were in a startup and you got a piece of the startup and then you started a third one. So it's your third time around. You're focusing on your core competency. You're focusing on the things that you do well and building. You're not starting over like a lot of entrepreneurs did. You know, I did a painting company and then I did a chemical company. Dumb idea. Yep. You're staying yep. in line. What exactly does the company do? What do you do as an executive in the freight business? Yeah. So, so logistics, first off, if you look at um, transportation and logistics in America, it represents uh, now it's over 8% of GDP. So Tremendous opportunity, tremendous uh, vertical market space. That was one of the things I learned really quick when I was investigating what logistics was. But it's really simple. It's just moving stuff from point A to point B. So the microphone you're using on your head right now got manufactured somewhere and somehow made it into your hands onto your head. Um, the glasses that you're wearing, the computer that we're speaking on, our phones, all that stuff is produced somewhere and has to make it somewhere else to an end consumer. And so my job you know, the companies I've worked for is basically coordinating, uh, coordinate, and I've always been in a freight forwarding role. So we don't own any assets, which is another uh, kind of a longer story, but basically we coordinate the pickup of goods from point A to point B. So I'll give you one of my, so, um, and I think it's okay to mention their name, but you know, one of my larger personal clients is SpaceX. Uh, SpaceX is, uh, you know, obviously a name that's in the news a lot. So I use that name not to impress anybody, but to give you some context so that I can use a real world example. So SpaceX you, you, by the way, you, you already you already impressed him with the six seven three percent body fat. <laughs> and we're not using the video. They'd be really impressed if they could see the video. Oh, Jesus. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, so I think um, you know SpaceX is manufacturing all over the world, but our job is to basically coordinate with their vendors and their manufacturing facilities that they're utilizing and get that product from point A to point B. So it could be moving something from Shanghai inbound to Redmond, Washington, which is one of their facilities, or could be moving something, you know, via Air or Ocean into Hawthorne, which is the one of the primary campuses for, for SpaceX. So it's just coordinating those moves for the clients via air, ocean, truck, and rail. 
Um, and those are the four primary ways we, we move the freight. And it's been a really you know fascinating journey to learn about this business. I didn't realize when you think of transportation, logistics, and supply chain, it's in everybody's mind now because during the pandemic, nobody could get anything because the supply chain was broken. Uh, but prior to that, nobody really paid attention to logistics and freight. And now it's becoming a really big part of most companies in their strategic plan. You were focused long-term when you're, when you're in the AVP. You're looking at all this extra capacity you had. You start doing research, and it's not the industry. It's the tie to your goals. So logistics yes. as an industry, you I mean, I don't even know what you just said. You coordinate goods from point A to point B, air, boat, whatever. Is it in cardboard? <laughs> is it plastic? Doesn't matter, right? As an executive of that industry, you're focused on client relations, just like every industry, sales and the sales pipeline, just like every industry, operational execution, just like any industry, finance. So you could be, if you're listening, if you're listening to your car right now, 1.5 speed, and you're not the salesperson type, but you're the finance person type, or you're not the finance person type, you're the operations person type. Maybe you go look at logistics because you haven't thought of it before. There's a place in logistics for every type. And as an executive, you've got the—I mean—you got the same skill set as me, the same focus as me. You're organizing people, you're organizing sales, you're managing relationships. What what are you doing as as the head of that company? Uh, all of that, right? So it's it's I think as an executive, when you're the CEO, your number one responsibility is to create an. This is my personal opinion. So the first thing you do as an entrepreneur is you got to put kind of the money and those goals and stuff aside. And our only job is to create an amazing vehicle for people to grow, develop, and help support your customer base. So people are the most important asset to any company. I still believe that today, despite innovations with like the iPad, iPod, all this stuff, these great products, it, it all comes down to people. So as an executive, my job is number one, create an amazing work environment. So company culture is paramount. I want people to feel like they come here and no matter how long they sit on the bus with me towards our destination that I'm leaving them better than I found them. So number one, company culture, my number one, like that's strategically my vision. How do we grow the company that, you know, revenues, all that good stuff, but it's how do we support our people? How do we create an amazing environment for them to work in? That's number one. Cash management's really important. Uh, client, uh, basically acquisition and retention, critically important. And I think if you focus on kind of those critical areas, which is sales, operations, customer service, getting great people, company culture, cash management, that's what you, that's what every executive does, right? There's like kind of the five primary buckets we all focus on as we try to grow these businesses. I would say this, and I've been, I've literally, I mean, you've got a lot of probably younger listeners as well, but here's the deal. Logistics is an absolute hidden gem in the American economy, like bar none. It is not going anywhere. People are going to have to move stuff for the rest of our lives until we can like figure out how to use a particle beam and just beam it to your house. Which you still Stuff's need logistics open. for. Someone's still got to operate still, the particle yeah, beam. Exactly. It's, it's crazy to me um, when I was looking strictly for a residual-based business because I didn't want to have to do the, you know, sell something, go sell something, go sell something. Go. That, that just is crazy. There's no repetitive residual component to that. But if you look at logistics, if you're a young person looking for a career, Matt, you nailed it. There is, there's an operations role. There's a customer service role. It's incredibly like finance heavy. Cash management is one of the biggest problems for every freight forwarding business because you've got to outlay the cash to the carriers before the customer pays you. So cash management is critically important. There's a huge HR component because it's all people, all people. You can't, there's so much stuff that you can't automate in logistics. And then the market size, you know, contract logistics market size, almost $200 billion in America. In America, there's not that many markets that are that large. So it's a real hidden gem. I think there's a lot of younger people that should be looking at it. We, there is a, here's what I will tell you. There's an incredible opportunity for talented, well-spoken, well-planned, well-thought-out people in our industry because kids are not going to school saying, oh, I can't wait to graduate, go move boxes for a living. They're just not doing it. They want to go to these sexier industry stuff. Huge untapped market for good, young, talented people that come to logistics, big time. And logistics has been around since the dawn of time, since the invention of the wheel. At, That's right. Before the invention of the wheel, and it'll be around forever. So if you're looking for job security, Hudson Baldwin, my biggest fan is Hudson Baldwin. I don't know if you know Sean Baldwin from Emerald Bay. And there's a lot of that volleyball, great abs, go to USC. What am I going to do next? Hudson Baldwin, if you're listening, logistics has a home for you. Anything you do, you can do it in logistics and logistics will be here forever. So 
Where are you surprised by where you're at now? When you go back in time to high school and you pick up your first volleyball, you go back to oh, yeah. the AVP days. hundred yeah. percent. I mean, if you had told me when I picked up a ball at 17, uh, if you would have told me that I would be playing on center court, Manhattan Beach Open against Karch Karai, who's the Michael Jordan of our sport, greatest player of all time, and that I would be facing off against them, right? I was a kid growing up playing basketball, running cross country, volleyball was nowhere on my radar. But then I would not only play against Karch, but then go on to have the kind of career that I did, working full time, mind you. I, I worked from the first year I worked on the, on the AV, from the first year I made the AVP tour. I mean, my first years in, in the industry, I was working 50, 60 hours a week in the off season. During the season, I'm working 35, 40 hours a week and cramming it into three to four days a week while I'm playing. If you had told me that I would have the career I had on the AVP, be able to build two companies, exit both of them, honestly, it's, it's even with you know my drive and my focus and my go- the goal setting and all that, I actually surpassed even my wildest dreams. If I, if you could believe it, like it's crazy. I mean, I I got to play in Hermosa Beach and Center Court. Got to play with Evander Holyfield. Got to play volleyball in a celebrity match. Like with my with my kids there, right? Holding my son. Like it's just crazy stuff that happened to me in my life that I I could have never dreamed of it. I, I didn't think that would be possible. So a lot of times, back to this Instagram thing. You know, you're sitting there and, and people start to feel a little hopeless, right? Everybody else's life is better. Mine sucks. Or, got it, the best days of my life were high school. The best days of my life were college. You've had some good days. I've had some good days. But life keeps surprising you, right? Life keeps surprising oh, yeah. you with an even better. And I, I know of a couple even betters coming down the pipe for you. There's going to be some even betters. How do you stay patient and how do you stay faithful? for the even better when you already have things going pretty well? Now, that's a spectacular question. If you're putting me on the spot, I just go back to the basics. I go back to my five-by-five five model, my values, my thoughts, my goals, my habits, my people. It keeps me patient. It keeps me grounded. It keeps me a little more present because that is something I certainly struggle with, especially when I got on tour the first time is, you know, I, I wanted it now. Like, once I finally qualified for the AVP, I wanted to win now. I wanted to win now. And I had to learn how to win. I had to learn how to practice properly, eat right, work out, all that stuff. And, and I would say nowadays, having gone through that experience, I just go back to my five-by-five five model. I'm really, really – I don't get too far out ahead of myself. I think you are, you're an incredible resource for folks that are looking to do the planning, the teaching. You obviously helped me and Robin uh, with our couples planning trip, which was incredible. And I think having those goals and things out in the future is great, but but really for me, it's about going back to that five by five and just the daily habits, the daily values, the thoughts I'm using, and that that tends to do me pretty well. When I, by the way, when I get away from that, and we all do. Like I'm I'm not a robot. There's there's Sundays that come around, I forget to do my book and I forget to do my my goals and stuff like that, and I always feel like I'm off for a few days when I don't do it. And so that's always a good reminder for me to check back in and, and get back to the planning and the goal setting and all that good stuff. And that helps me be patient. Yeah, it's, patience is difficult. So you go back to your basics and you're also back going to back to celebrating your path because it could have been again, it could have been, I got my ass kicked on the center court by the my greatest hero. So embarrassing. No, that's not it. So you're back to your basics. You're celebrating yourself and your path. So all that other stuff fades and you're celebrating what's awesome. And I think a lot about my son and I think, Got it. And I asked him this one time. I said, is it hard? Is it hard being my son? Meaning, do you feel you have to measure up? God, I hope, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter. You know, he's already beat me in so many ways. My daughter's already beat me, but it doesn't matter. And I said, hey, uh, is it hard? He said, yes, you've got so many rules. He didn't get the point. So I, I I didn't push it. But I think about it like you're sitting there and, you know, your dad's toured the world and been, you know, this entrepreneur guy, you've toured the world and been this volleyball person. How do you let that go and find your own path and celebrate yourself? You go back to your basics. You start focusing on that. All else fades because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No. I, I mean, we, we, we said it right at the beginning, man. Comparison and expectation are the antidote to happiness. Yeah. So there's no, there's no sense in doing it because it doesn't matter. And just go back to the basics. To me, it's the five-by-five model. For other people, it's going to be something else. But you've got to find that thing, that process that roots you in being present and and, and centers you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So looking back, I, I have a question that someone asked me to ask. You look back to your biggest challenges, and there's been a bunch. Pick one of them, one of your biggest challenges. How'd you overcome it? Mm, 
Yeah, my my biggest challenge for me that had a real it's it's I can't just pick one. There's two, and they, they kind of coincide with each other. And I'll try to be quick with it. The biggest challenge in my life was my parents divorcing when I was in high school. In my in my early life, it was bar none that for me. It, it totally threw me into a tailspin. Uh, at that point, my two oldest brothers that were closest to me, my older my oldest brother Pat, my sister Teresa, they were already gone. They were like out of college at that point. But but Matt and Tim, who are seven and eight years respectively ahead of me, they were gone out of the they were out of the house. So I was effectively an only child going through divorce. Um, my younger years, my brothers were in the house with me. So, you know, we had that, like we talked about earlier, right? We just had that camaraderie, that competition, all that good stuff. But that was, that rocked my world. My parents getting divorced rocked my world hard. And how I got through it, it was, yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, I didn't, did not handle it well. I had a lot of anger in high school. Drive, drive, drive. I ended up just diving into everything, like intensely. School, you know, uh, a 3.8 wasn't good enough. Had to be a 4.0 sports i had to be like the best so i just dove super hard into kind of the the action side of my life wasn't the best but but anyways so i dove super hard and the thing that really helped me was i ended up going to therapy okay you know, it was the first time first time in my life if i mean as a kid and i don't know if you can look back at that but like think about it like it's 1990 therapy wasn't as popular as it is now 30 years ago right but now people throw that word around all the time but back then it was like very taboo. Like, oh, you're going to you're going to therapy, but man, it it really helped. It helped me be introspective. It helped me really calm me down. It gave me someone to talk to that wasn't, you know, my parents who were, you know, again, kind of going through their own shit. Yeah. So that that therapy was was probably the thing that helped the most. And the second biggest challenge I went through in my life was my mom passing away. My mom died very unexpectedly when I was 23. Did not see that coming. Um, you, know, you kind of plan out your life like your parents going to be there forever, and she's going to see me get married. She's going to see my grandkids. Also. And unfortunately, and I was very close to my mom. Uh, she's Cuban, so she came over in Operation Peter Pan from Cuba. So you can, a Latin American mother, right? Like her kids are her life. Uh, so we were very, very close, and um, that was a struggle. And how I got through that was this model of kind of values, thoughts, goals, habits, yeah. and people really that formed around that time. You know, I had to get really focused on what was important and what my values were. I also went to therapy then too. So I, I mean, there's a common theme there is, is finding somebody you trust that you can talk to that maybe has some more insights and can give you a different perspective. And another common theme of finding your path and celebrating yourself. So maybe not in your parents' divorce, but you probably started thinking about what you stood for. You started probably thinking about your thoughts. You probably started catching the negativity. The therapist probably helped you focus on your habits and the people around you. So it started to happen. You start your, the path doesn't just come. You don't wake up one day and go, oh, I got my five things. Um, yeah, exactly. it, it comes with time and over time. The patients probably started there. And well, those are two horrible things, but there's some gifts that came out of it that help you later in life. And if you're listening right now and maybe your family's going through divorce or maybe you've lost somebody close to you, time, it's okay to take time. Therapy really helps, but there's something good that'll come out of it. So looking back, Last question for you. Something happened in your life that at the time seemed like a sacrifice. And looking back, you're like, thank God I made that sacrifice. And if you could go back and tell yourself, hey, don't sweat it. Just make the sacrifice. What would that sacrifice have been? Oh, man. That's a phenomenal question. I would say a sacrifice that I made that, I'm, that I look back and at the time seemed really hard. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, it was a sacrifice. You look back now, you're thank God I didn't do that. Yeah. So I had an opportunity to, um, to play for USA Volleyball. I don't have a lot of regrets, but uh, one of them, you know, one of the things I thought was a regret at the time was I had an opportunity to play for USA Volleyball down in Brazil. And what I did was I, I ended up passing on that opportunity. It was a huge sacrifice. But what it did do is it allowed me to, what happened was my, my employer at the time was not thrilled about me going down to Brazil for two weeks to play volleyball. And I look back on it, I was like, man, what, what, a, what a horrible sacrifice. I didn't get the chance to play for USA Volleyball. But if I'm thinking, if I'm being honest with myself, it was a really good decision to make that sacrifice because one, it taught me about responsibility. You know, I would have gone down there and won that tournament. Yeah. You know, I, I probably would have got, got my ass kicked and then just party for two weeks in Brazil. And so it taught me a lot about sacrifice. It taught me a lot about priorities. My employer at the time was thrilled that I didn't go on that trip. I ended up, you know, quite frankly, I ended up with some relationships there that were really strong. I ended up with a trainer, a workout trainer guy that ended up helping me in my career. So there's a lot of these like unintended consequences by not going on that trip. 
uh, that, that ended up working out really well for me. And I ended up, you know, again, my employer at the time was thrilled that I ended up staying. I'm sure that helped me elongate my career at that first place. There was a, a workout guy that I was working out with that was a trainer that took me on during that time where I would have been out of the country. So there were some things that there, that it was a good sacrifice. It was the right thing. And I think a lot of times like this instant gratification that we all live in, we, we have a hard time saying no. I don't, I don't know if you felt that way, Matt, but like, there's so many options, there's so much optionality now. There's so much that you could do. And as we've been more successful in our life, we have, we have like so many more things that we can do that are available to us. The ability to say no to things, say no to people, say no to opportunities, it's really powerful. And it can really ground you again, back into your true values, your yeah. true goals. That's what I was yeah, going to say. So. That was my realization right here. Cause I was thinking about my sacrifice, similar to your sacrifice. That action didn't align with our values because deep down yeah. inside, mine was going to go to Spain deep down inside hard work, contribution, love, commitment to my commitments. Those are your values. Those are my values. You weren't living those values going down to uh, Brazil. Deep down inside, you knew it. So you stayed and lived your values. You stayed and followed your five-step plan. And you end up happily ever after for one less trip to Brazil. Well, John Moran, it's been fantastic. I really appreciate you making time to come on the show. I really appreciate you sharing all this insight and, and the little packages that you put together. So much easier to remember this stuff uh, when you put it in a package. Thank you so much for coming on the Edge of Excellence today. That was awesome. Good to see you, my man. Take care. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.